Today is the first of two lectures and we shall be doing cancer, cancer genetics. So we have one hour today and one more hour tomorrow. Okay. Now the first few slides that you will be seeing here, so that's your, these are your objectives. Note that all the objectives are covered in, in both, this, both the lectures, so if you don't find it in today's lecture, it will be done tomorrow. Okay. Now the first few slides are basically introductory slides, and if you're already familiar with um, cancer, and note that at the genetic level, Cancer is due to a mutation, it's, it's due to a series of mutations and it's typically due to accumulation of mutations one after the other which finally results in the formation of cancer, in other words there is uncontrolled cell division. Yeah? So it's just basically, so at the genetic level, at the most simplest level it is one mutation after another which is finally resulting in uncontrolled cell division. Okay? So it progresses from a normal cell to finally initially being dysplastic, which has some, some characteristics of increased cell division, finally metastatic, where it, ha it, it starts moving out of the basement membrane and starts seeding in different uh, tissues. So basically, it's, it's a series of mutations, one after the other, which finally results in cancer. So if you think about it at, at, the, at, at the level of mutation, so initially there is a single mutation, and from that you have a clone of cells or a population of cells. Now, after some time, some time there is the second random mutation, which again expands to form the next clone, and the third mutation, and so on. Now, most of the time, in very highly developed cancers or um, very highly progressed cancers, you find these groups of cells, most of them have different kinds of mutations or they have, in other words, there is some tumor heterogeneity observed as, especially as the more advanced the cancer is. Yeah? So typically what happens during the advancement or the progression of cancer is more mutations tend to accumulate over time and the tumor tissue is said to be heterogeneous. Now there are different changes that take place at the cellular level for the conversion of a normal cell to a cancerous or a malignant cell. Now what we are going to concentrate on today is mainly the genetic changes. So these are other changes that also happen in a cancer cell, but today we shall look, look at, we'll concentrate more on the genetic alterations. So basically what happens in cancer, that is like a common theme in most cancer cells, is the DNA repair mechanism is failed, in other words, it's not intact, and the genome is not as stable as in a normal cell. In other words, there is a higher tendency to form mutations or new mutations generally arise in cancer cells, and this is responsible for the rapid progression of the cancer. Now note that as, as we age, we tend, the cells tend to accumu accumulate mutations, so most cancers, you find an increase as increase in risk of the cancer as we get older. Yeah? So there is an increase in the risk of cancer as we get older and that's because of the accumulation of genetic mutations with time or with age. Now how does it evolve? Now typically, so that is initiation of cancer where usually there is a single change and later 
that that expands, so it expands to form a clone of cells, and then there are more mutations added over time to finally result in cancer, which is typically characterized by invasion of the basement membrane and then metastasis or invasion to other tissues. The, uh, the time span is widely variable. Most of the time, it takes a few years from the initiation of cancer to the development of metastasis, but it depends on the kind or the type or the variety of cancer. Now the next question we try to answer is, are cancers derived from a single cell? Are they monoclonal versus are they polyclonal? Polyclonal is when they arise from a group of cells, from different types of cells. Now most of the, most of the information or most of the proof points towards monoclonal origin of the cancers where a single cell undergoes a mutation, then it forms, it divides to form many cells and you have a single clone of cells which are derived from one parent or from one cell. So monoclonal is more commonly seen or we have more proof for monoclonal origin of cancers. However, remember as the tumor progresses, what happens is there is going to be the second mutation maybe in one of these cells and then there is going to be another clone of cells and then there may be another mutation in this group of cells and then there is another group of cells which have a slightly different kind of mutation. In other words, as the cancer becomes more and more advanced, you find that it's not as monoclonal as it seems here, but it becomes heterogeneous. So tumor heterogeneity can be observed, especially as the cancer becomes more progressive. Okay? But typically, they have arisen from a single cell, so the first cell that had that first mutation. Okay? Now, what are the different proofs that tell you that most likely this is of monoclonal origin? Now, if you look at the X-inactivation of the tumor cells, yeah, you, you remember you have studied about X-inactivation before your first exam. X-inactivation is a process that occurs in females, in all normal females, and it's a random process. Now, so about 50% of the cells, the maternal X is active, and 50% the dad's X is active. So that is a typical X inactivation phenomenon. Now, imagine one of these has undergone a tumorous transformation or a malignant transformation. You observe the tumor cells, you observe that they have the same pattern of X inactivation. That means the dad's X chromosome is active, or the mom's X chromosome is active. So this is one of the evidence to say that it may be the tumor or malignancy may be monoclonal. Besides that, in some cancers, you observe changes in the chromosome. What is shown here is a translocation of a chromosome, that is the reciprocal translocation. Now, once that somatic cell develops the translocation, note that the cells that originate from it find later develop into a tumor, and we are going to look at that today. Remember that this, all the cells in the tumor contain the same translocation. In other words, we are again trying to explain the monoclonal origin of the cancer. So this is seen in chronic myeloid leukemia, a classical example of reciprocal translocation. And we are going to explain that more today. Now, another evidence is a cancer of the plasma cells. With, now, if you think about plasma cells, they are nothing but mature B cells. 
in other words, they're anti antibody-producing cells. So patients with tumors of the B cell or the plasma cell tumors, you find that they secrete only a single kind of antibody that tells you that the tumor has originated from a single kind or a single clone of B cells or plasma cells. And if you look at the immunoglobulin picture, you find that a single kind of immunoglobulin, which is com coming from one clone of the plasma cell, there is a, a very high increase in the levels of a single kind of immunoglobulin. And note that that is coming from the same kind of plasma cell. Again, this is another evidence. So multiple myeloma is a tumor of the B cells. And in that, you have a monoclonal spike or a monoclonal increase in antibodies. Okay, So all of these explain to you that most likely the monoclonal origin of tumors is, is more, is more uh, valid than the polyclonal origin. Now, when you think about cancer, you're thinking about, uh, so there are, some, there are some cell cycle control points. So that basically, there is, so there is net cell growth. In other words, there is increased cell growth. In other, and there is a change in the balance between cell birth and cell death. So there is less of cell death. So cell, the cancer cells become immortal. That means they have lost apoptosis or they become immortal. And at the same time, there is increase in cell division or cell birth. So there is an imbalance between cell birth and cell death. And the balance is shifted towards increase in cell division or cell growth. Okay, So that is what we shall be learning today. So what, what genes actually change this balance or alter this balance between cell division and cell death or cell birth and cell death? Now, there are basically three types of genes that we shall be looking at. The first group of genes is, I think, the largest group, and that is called as the oncogenes. And oncogenes normally, if you think about the protein products of the oncogenes, they normally code for, so these genes code for proteins that stimulate the cell cycle or stimulate cell division. Yeah? So oncogenes is the first group that we shall be looking at. The next group is called as the tumor suppressor genes. Now, if you think about the name tumor suppressor genes, protein products of these genes or the tumor suppressor proteins normally inhibit the cell cycle. So when there is a mutation of the tumor suppressor gene, what happens is the cell cycle is not inhibited. In other words, there is unlimited cell division. The third group of genes that we shall be looking at today, um, not today, tomorrow, are the DNA repair genes that normally are important to repair the DNA so that mutations are not transmitted to the next generation. What happens in cancer is there is a defect in the DNA repair genes, and as a result, mutations tend to accumulate in the cell and will be transmitted to the next generation, in other words, increasing the predisposition for cancer. So if you think about the three kinds of genes, now oncogenes are normally produced by the cell. Now, however, the normal form of the oncogene is called as a proto-oncogene. So proto-oncogene is normally present in the cell. Proto-oncogene undergoes a mutation to form the oncogene. And, and this mutation is typically found in cancer cells. 
Now, once it becomes an oncogene, you find that it increases cell growth in a, or sometimes other proteins prevent cell death. Typically, oncogene mutations or proto-oncogene mutations are said to be gain-of-function mutations. That means there is usually increased expression or increased amount of the protein which is constantly telling the cell to divide. Yeah? In other words, they are always trying to stimulate cell division. Now, we can compare it to the gas pedal, the, the oncogene mutations, because when there is a mutation, there is, just like the car, they tend to go f very fast. So cell division is un uncontrolled or unlimited. The next group are tumor suppressor genes. Typically, tumor suppressor genes are said to be loss of function mutation. So normally, they inhibit the cell cycle. So when there is a mutation or there is a loss of function, and as a result, what happens is they do not, they are not able to inhibit the cell cycle. In other words, they, there is uncontrolled cell division or unlimited cell growth. So the, the cell cycle keeps continuing because there is no break for the cell cycle. Yeah? So tumor suppressor gene typically function like brakes of a car or brakes for the cell cycle. So when there is a mutation, so imagine the brake is not functioning, again you have acceleration of the cell cycle. Okay? And the final group of genes are the DNA repair genes, which mutations of which will increase the rate of mutations in the cell, in other words, increasing the risk of cancer. So first we shall look at oncogenes. Now remember, oncogenes are normally present in the cell, and oncogenes are present as proto-oncogenes, which are, which are the normal cellular form of the oncogene. Now if you think about what kind of proteins are coded for by the proto-oncogenes? There are basically, I think, five different kinds of proteins that are listed on this cell. So proto-oncogenes code for one of the proteins on this, that are labeled on this slide. Yeah? So typically, it can be one group of proto-oncogenes which can undergo mutation is the growth factors. The second group of proto-oncogenes which can undergo mutation to form oncogene is the growth factor receptor or it can be cytosolic signal transducers or cytosolic tyrosine kinases. The next group is proteins, intracellular proteins which have GTPase activity and finally the fifth group of proteins are DNA binding proteins which bind to the DNA and signal the cell to divide. Now, you notice that these five classes of proteins typically belong to or they are components of an important signal transduction cascade that is important for cellular growth control. And this signal transduction cascade is called as the cell cycle or the cell control or the cell growth pathway. Now, if you think about the compon components of the cell growth pathway, Presence of a growth factor in the medium. So that is a, not a typical cell. Presence of growth factor in the medium, what happens is growth factor is the ligand. It binds to its specific receptor on the cell membrane. So the next group of the next protein in this cascade is the growth factor receptor. So growth factor binds to its receptor. Once the growth factor binds to its receptor, what happens to the receptor is it is activated. Now, once the growth factor receptor is activated, it tells the next protein. So this is a typical signal transduction 
cascade, it tells the next protein, which is usually cytosolic, and it activates the next protein, and the next protein in this line is the tyrosine kinases. So binding of the growth factor to the receptor will activate cytosolic tyrosine kinases. Activation of the tyrosine kinases will next activate GTP binding proteins or GTPases. Yeah? So proteins with GTP activity or GTPase activity. So that's the next group of, that's the next protein in this signal transduction pathway. Now if we activate the GTP binding protein, it will in turn activate the nuclear transcription factors. So that's your fifth group of proteins. And once the nuclear transcription factors are activated, what happens is these transcription factors will bind to the uh, DNA and will tell the cell to divide. It will cause transcription of the S phase genes, or in other words, it is sending the signal for the cell to divide. Yeah? So this is the typical, the most important pathway that we shall be coming over and over to when we are thinking about oncogenes. Because oncogenes typically code for one of these five proteins of this cellular growth pathway. Okay? So when we talk about oncogenes, they usually fall in one of these five classes. Yeah? And we shall be looking at examples for each of them, for most of them actually, as we go through today's lecture. Now about 200 to 300 oncogene or oncoproteins have been identified till date. So a lot of research is going on oncogenes and what is the actual role in the signal transduction cascade. Now I've, we shall be looking at only a few of them, so, but remember there are many more, many, many more. Okay? So some of the oncoproteins could be secreted proteins or growth factors and that is your first protein number one or they could be receptors on the cell membrane in other words, growth factor receptors. So again, mutation of the growth factor receptor results in cancer. The next group is the GTP binding proteins or G protein. So the RAS is a specific example and we are going to look at RAS today. Cytosolic tyrosine kinases, which is number three in the signal transduction pathway, we are going to look at ABL. And the nuclear transcription factors, we are going to look at MYC. Foss and Jan are other examples. Note that many more, we, we know about many more oncoproteins, but we are going to discuss, at, discuss only a few of them. Now when you think about an oncogene, remember there is a proto-oncogene or a normal version of that gene. The proto-oncogene is the normal version of the gene. It undergoes a mutation to form an oncogene. As a result of the mutation, there, are, there could be either a mutant protein that is produced, so a mutant oncoprotein is produced, that constantly tells the cell to divide. Yeah? And sometimes even in the absence of upstream signal, even in the absence of a signal. So it could be a mutant protein that is constantly stimulating cell division, or it could be large amounts of a protein that normally, so generally only a little amount of that protein is produced, but because of the mutation, what happens is, too much amount of the oncoprotein is produced and again that is telling the cell to keep constantly dividing. Yeah? So either of these and we shall be looking at examples for both of them. Okay? For both of them. Again the next 
slide also tries to highlight the cell proliferation pathway or the cell growth pathway because oncoproteins fall under one of these classes. Yeah? So when you think about oncoprotein, always try to put it under one of these classes. Now, from this slide onwards, we are going to describe different oncoproteins, what kind of mutations happen in these oncoproteins to result in the cancer. And I will try to put, I have tried to put the numbers on, on those slides, and when you see those numbers, that means it is that specific protein in the MAP kinase pathway or the proliferation pathway. So if you see the number four, you know that it is a GTP binding protein or RAS. If you see three, that is the tyrosine kinase in the signal transduction cascade. And if it is two, it is growth factor receptor or one is a growth factor. Okay? So you have to know this pathway in order to be able to explain the mechanism of action of the oncogenes. Okay? So once we are familiar with this normal pathway, remember mutations at any of these levels could result in cancer. In other words, it always sends. So mutations anywhere along this pathway will constantly tell the cell to divide. Yeah? And that is what is happening in oncogenesis or oncogene mutations. Now first we shall take the example of receptor, growth factor receptor. Now, if you think about the growth factor receptor, they are basically present on the cell membrane. So that is a typical growth factor receptor on the cell membrane. Now, presence of a ligand or growth factor, so when there is ligand in the medium or growth factor in the medium, what happens is it binds to the ligand binding sites. And as a result, there is dimerization of this receptor. The dimerization of the receptor... Once there is dimerization, there is phosphorylation. These are typically tyrosine kinases. So there is autophosphorylation, something similar to your insulin receptor. So what happens is as soon as there is dimerization, the receptor adds phosphate groups to itself. Now after that initial phosphorylation, many more phosphorylation reactions happen. And once you find that the receptor is phosphorylated, it is the signal for the next protein in the signal transduction cascade to be activated. So that is, that is how a normal growth factor receptor is functioning. So it always responds to the presence of a ligand or to the presence of a growth factor. Now on this slide what we are trying to explain is what could happen in oncogenesis or what could happen when a growth factor receptor is undergoing mutation. So on this side of the slide so that is your growth factor receptor. So when a ligand binds or when a growth factor binds, there is dimerization and firing to tell you that, to tell the cell to divide. Okay? Now pay attention to this part of the pathway. So this is, sorry? Oh, you can't see it. Oh my, you didn't tell me till now. What should I do? This is a new computer. I was. What should I do? Right click. Oh, okay. Oh, you should have told me then, yeah. Oh, pointer options, okay. What do I use? Arrow, okay. Automatic, okay. Now? Oh, my. Thank you. 
You should have told me before, you know. Okay. Oh my. Okay. <gasps> okay. And you, yeah. I'm surprised you didn't tell me before. Okay. Now, uh, but I hope it was clear till now, yeah? Okay. <laughs> oh my. Okay. Now, so that is your growth factor. That's your growth factor receptor, binding of the ligand, and then there is firing. Okay? Now, when there is a mutation, when there is a mutation of the growth factor receptor, in other words, there is an oncogenic change, what happens is, sometimes it could be a single point mutation, and as a result, the receptor undergoes automatic dimerization, even in the absence of the ligand. So even in the absence of the ligand, note that this receptor is dimerizing and, and telling the cell to divide. So that is one change that could occur. This, sometimes what happens is, as a result of the mutation, there is a part of the, a part of the protein is clipped off, and, the part of, uh, and part of the protein is just not present. So there is a truncation of the receptor, and as a result, what happens is, this truncated receptor is always in the dimerized state, even in the absence of the growth factor. So even in the absence of the growth factor, note that it is telling, it is sending the signal to divide. Now this mechanism by which the receptor automatically becomes active in the absence of upstream signal or in the absence of the growth factor is called as ligand independent firing and this process is called or we say that the protein has now become constitutively active it is active all the time it's it's just active without even without the presence of the growth factor in the medium and that is, is a dangerous thing because even in the absence of the growth factor what is going to happen is the cell is constantly going to get the stimulation to keep dividing okay so I've taken two examples. We don't expect you to know the actual, the actual mutation that is taking place. What we want you all to get is the concept from these slides. So this is the HER2 receptor. HER2 is a growth factor receptor, human epidermal growth factor receptor. Now point mutations of the HER2 receptor gene, and as a result, valine has been changed to glutamine. Don't, you don't have to pay attention to the chain to the point mutation, but note that a single point mutation has resulted in automatic dimerization of the receptor, and as a result, there is ligand-independent firing. In other words, there is a constant stimulation for the cell to divide, so even in the absence of the growth factor. And this is seen in some kinds of neuroblastoma, therefore it's called as the new oncoprotein. Now in some of the cancers, there is the ERB-B oncoprotein in which the EGF receptor, epidermal growth factor receptor, again there is a truncation, a mutation which has resulted in the truncation of the growth factor and as a result note that the extracellular domain is completely absent and as a result of this truncation what happens is this oncoprotein automatically dimerizes, so this is a growth factor, so it automatically di dimerizes and constantly tells the cell to divide. Yeah? So this is the second kind of mutation which results, both of these note, 
is resulting in constitutive activation of the of um, the growth factor receptor. Okay. Now the next kind of oncogenic activation. So we have seen how is the growth factor receptor, how is it transformed oncogenically. Now the next is the next kind of oncogenic activation. We shall look at reciprocal translocation. You've already referred to it under cytogenetics. So we shall be going back to it and seeing in the light of cancer. We shall be referring to two cancers. One is Burkitt lymphoma. The second one is chronic myeloid leukemia. In both of them, about 90% of, of both these cancer patients have a specific translocation. Pay attention to what, is, what oncoprotein is activated, what, what chromosome numbers are mainly involved in the translocation. So you have to pay attention to the chromosome numbers because that is so very specific for these two cancers. So first we'll take the example of Burkitt lymphoma. Burkitt lymphoma is basically to do with the MYC gene. Now if you look at chromosome 14 and chromosome 8, chromosome 8 on the long arm you have the MYC gene. Yeah? MYC, MYC is a, um, remember MYC is your protein 5 in the signal transduction cascade or the growth factor cascade and it is a nuclear transcription factor. What happens in Burkitt lymphoma is in the cells which have the cancer, the MYC gene or chromosome 8 containing the MYC gene is translocated to chromosome 14. So there is a chromosome 14 and 8 translocation. There is exchange of genetic material between chromosome 8 and 14. Now as a result of this translocation, what happens now is MYC in chromosome 8 was next to a very, very less active promoter. That means little amounts of MYC were normally produced in normal cells. But now, because of the translocation, MYC is now placed next to an immunoglobulin promoter or IGH promoter. Now, IGH promoter is considered to be a very active promoter. That means it, it always causes transcription and then translation of the MYC protein. So what has happened is, as a result of the translocation, MYC is now next to a very active promoter, and as a result of this, there is too much production of the MYC protein. And when you have too much production of the MYC protein, what happens is the cell is constantly receiving the signal to keep dividing. And that, is what, that change is what is observed in Burkitt lymphoma. Okay? So number five here refers to your signal transduction cascade. Who's that? Oh, the MYC, there is a translocation. Translocation means there is exchange of genetic material between, yeah, between the chromosomes. So again, the same thing has been depicted on the slide. So that is your promoter for immunoglobulin gene. So immunoglobulin promoter is now next to the MYC oncogene. And as a result, you have too much production of the MYC oncoprotein. There is too much production of MYC oncoprotein. Okay, so the MYC is now under control of a very active promoter. Now in this situation, what has happened is there is no mutation. What has happened is there is too much production of a protein that is normally produced in tiny amounts. Yeah? So that is overexpression of the MYC oncogene or overexpression of the MYC gene. Okay? The 
the what was I yeah so you have to remember this number okay t8 to 14 you have to remember that now the next cancer in which you find reciprocal translocation again about 90 to 95 percent of patients with chronic myeloid leukemia have this reciprocal translocation and that means there is exchange of genetic material between chromosome 9 and chromosome 22. Now if you look at closely what, what, what is actually happening because of the translocation, the ABL oncogene is present on chromosome 9 and, the, and that is your BCR region. Now as a result of the translocation, what happens is the ABL protein or the gene is now placed next to the BCR and you have this unusual gene called as the BCR-ABL gene which is basically a fusion gene. After transcription and translation what's going to happen is so you get an unusual protein or a fusion protein which the blue region here indicates the BCR and the pink indicates the ABL. So you have a fusion protein called as BCR-ABL fusion protein. Now this protein, the ABL protein, is a normal tyrosine kinase and that is your protein 3 of your signal transduction ca cascade. Now as a result of the translocation, you now have an unusual or a fusion protein BCR-ABL which has region of the BCR and region of the ABL. The ABL is tyrosine kinase, however it is missing the regulatory portion of the ABL. And as a result, what happens is this BCR-ABL fusion protein has unregulated tyrosine kinase activity. That means it keeps telling the cell again to divide. In other words, the ABL we say is, you know, in, in, if you want to make it too simple, you can say it's always stuck in the active form. It is never shut off. It keeps telling the cell to keep dividing. Okay? Now this chromosomal translocation can be viewed on a karyotype. So that is your Philadelphia. It was, it's called as the Philadelphia chromosome and one of the first translocations to be identified in patients with CML. And, and what happens is there is the BCR-ABL fusion protein which is then translated into a BCR-ABL, uh, sorry, BCR-ABL fusion gene which is then translated into a BCR-ABL fusion protein which is a tyrosine kinase but it is it has no regulation yeah it, it is active even in the absence of upstream signals okay and you have to remember these numbers t9 so there is a translocation between 9 and 22 now as you go on through medicine you will be learning about many more translocations and there are different mechanisms that occur in different kinds of translocations we have seen only two examples because you're just in term one but as you move on, you will see that there are many more cancers which are associated with such translocations. Now, once we found out that the BCR-ABL fusion protein had tyrosine kinase activity, the next thing was we devised a, a, a therapeutic target for this fusion protein, and that is Gleevec. So Gleevec is specifically binds to the BCR-ABL fusion protein, and it inhibits the BCR-ABL fusion protein from signaling the cell to divide. In other words, it can act as a, 
a, a therapeutic option for patients with BCR-ABL positive CML. Okay? So it, it specifically binds to the tyrosine kinase, BCR-ABL fusion protein or the tyrosine kinase. So trying to answer this question. Okay, you, you need more time? Okay, so I think we'll, yes, we'll look at what, okay, so constitutive means it's always active, okay? Altered, no, that hasn't changed, substrate specificity. Receptor dimerization is for the growth factor receptor that we first saw, okay? And, oh, I'm glad imanitib or Gleevec is, is the therapeutic drug which is used to inhibit ABL protein or the BCR-ABL fusion protein, okay? So at this point, we have seen two kinds of oncogene mutations or oncoprotein mutations, two or three kinds, yeah? Now, next we move on to the next group of onco oncoproteins or oncogene mutations, and we're talking about the protein called as RAS. Now, RAS is a GTP binding protein in the signal transduction cascade. So if you closely look at the signal transduction cascade, binding of growth factor to the receptor, growth factor receptor, will activate RAS. Now, in the active form, RAS binds to GTP. So that's the active form of RAS. However, once the signal stops, once the signal stops, after some time, the GTP is going to be hydrolyzed and RAS will, will bind to GDP. Basically, there are two states for RAS. One, the GTP-bound state, the other state in which GTP is not bound or GDP is bound. Now, out of these, the GTP-bound state, this state is the active state of RAS. And this is the inactive state of RAS. Okay? That means when RAS has GTP bound to it, it will tell the downstream signals, it will activate the downstream signals for the cell to divide. Yeah? Now when there is a mutation, so imagine a mutation of RAS, so typically point mutations are very common in, in the RAS protein or the RAS gene, and as a result there is a single base change and RAS is now always bound to GTP. Yeah? So we talked about two states of RAS, the GTP-bound state, which is the active state, and the GDP-bound state, which is the inactive state. So when there is a mutation, what happens is RAS is always bound to GTP. In other words, it is always active, even in the absence of the upstream signal. Yeah, even in the absence of the upstream signal. So that is what is explained on the next slide. 
So in the active form, remember, GTP will signal growth. And when it is bound to GDP, there is no signal for growth. So when you're trying to imagine a mutation of the RAS, typically many point mutations have been known. And as a result of the point mutation, again, don't pay attention to these amino acid changes. Note that single point mutations, and as a result of the mutation, what happens is RAS is now always bound to GTP. In other words, RAS is in a constantly active state. There's no mechanism to inactivate it. And as a result, it will constantly tell the cell to keep dividing. Yeah? Mutations in RAS are known in a wide variety of cancers. It's one of the more commoner oncogene mutations. Yeah? And in many of them, you have this point mutation as a result of which RAS is always bound to GTP. Yeah? And is always telling the cell to divide. Okay? So that this is protein number four in your signal transduction cascade. Try to go back and, and try to associate it with that MAP kinase pathway, okay, or the cellular growth pathway. Now another mechanism of oncogene activation is by having multiple copies of that oncogene. That means normally you have two copies of, of a protein, but in this, in this situation, typically this is seen in very advanced cancers, in more advanced cancers. What happens is, from the two copies of genes, you have multiple copies. So you have like hundreds of copies of that same oncogene. Now, in this example that, that is shown here, note that it's not, it's not specific to one kind of oncogene. Any of the oncogenes could be amplified in this way, and you could find hundreds of oncogenes in the cell. Okay? Now, we are talking about, so what, what is basically happening here is amplification of that oncogene. Amplification means you have super numerous number. You have a very high number of these oncogenes. Yeah? So generally, we have only two copies of any, any gene. But if you look at this picture, you will find multiple hundreds of copies of that same oncogene. And as a result, what happens? So normally, if you have two copies, you would produce a little amount of that protein. But when you amplify it so many times, can you imagine how much of protein is going to be produced? So that means the cell is producing so much, so, so huge number of this protein, and, and that is sufficient to constantly keep telling the cell, in other words, sending the signal for the cell to keep dividing. Yeah? One type of gene amplification is called as double minute, and that is shown in the picture here. So you find that you have multiple copies of any specific oncogene, and, and you notice that they are outside the chromosome. So double minutes are extra chromosomal amplification of the DNA, or amplification of the oncogene. They're typically extra chromosomal. Yeah. Now this is an example of EGFR, that means epidermal growth factor receptor, and as a result you have hundreds of copies of this protein produced, in other words, too much of the protein produced, overexpression of that oncogene resulting in cancer, or again, a constant, um, a constant signal for the cell to divide. Okay? Now this is again the second example, so G-banded karyotype shows extra chromosomal elements, and if you stain it for a specific oncogene, you find hundreds of copies of that specific oncogene. 
Okay. Again, as a result of this, you have too much production of the oncoprotein, again, which is repeatedly, constantly telling the cell to keep dividing. Okay. Now, the second mechanism by which a gene could be amplified. So we saw extra chromosomal, which was outside the chromosome. Now, the second mechanism by which the gene could be amplified is what's called as homogeneously staining regions. Now, if we try to compare it with the previous previous one, double minutes were extra chromosomal, whereas HSRs are within the chromosome. So the amplification is taking place. The mechanism is still the same. You have multiple copies of the oncogene, but they are linked or they are present, associated with the chromosome. So they're not extra chromosomal. They're present within the chromosome, and there is amplification in tandem. So you have copies of mic, 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 mic whereas you, you normally had to have just two copies of MYC, but now you have like hundreds of copies of the MYC protein. Okay? So that's the MYC amplification. Note that HSRs can occur for any of the oncogene. Okay? We have only given you the example of MYC, but any oncogene can be amplified by HSRs. Okay? And, and as a result, again, you don't have a production of a mutant protein, but you have too much production of the of the protein, and as a result, there is unlimited or uncontrolled cell division. Okay? So basically, both of these, double minutes and HSRs, are basically the same process. Oncogene amplification is occurring in both. In one, it is extra chromosomal. It's present as chromosomal fragments or outside the chromosome, whereas HSRs, it is amplification in tandem and these amplified segments are within or attached to the chromosome. They're not present outside the chromosome. Okay? So that's the basic difference between the two. So sometimes the amplification can be so huge that it can be seen in a karyotype too. So, so note this amplified region. So it's, and it's amplified in tandem. Okay? So these are the multiple copies that have amplified and note that it's still connected to the chromosome and they can be visualized with specific fish probes if you know what kind of oncogene has been amplified. So you can use a probe for that specific oncogene. Okay. So try to answer this question. I think there are like three questions. And so basically at the end of this group of two lectures, you should be able to, for each of these oncogene, you should be able to tell the function oncogene or oncoprotein. Okay? And that is what is tested on this slide. What's the full form of HER2? HER2 is human epidermal growth factor receptor, HER2. And that is which number on your signal transduction pathway? It is number two, HER2. Yeah. So what did you answer? You want more time? Oh, oh, it doesn't. Oh, it's, uh, it's a, uh, it's <laughs> cannot be seen. Okay. <laughs> Oh my. So what, so what, that is your answer. I don't know what you answered, but <laughs> what is BCR ABL? BCR ABL is a tyrosine kinase. Yeah? So that's a cytosolic tyrosine kinase. 
BRCA1 and 2 we haven't seen yet, but I, have you done DNA repair? Yeah, so BRCA1 and 2 are DNA repair proteins. The code for DNA repair proteins, MYC is a nuclear transcription factor. Growth factor receptor is HER2. Okay? So it's something like match the following. Okay. So the next question. Okay, you need more time? I think we have one more question. So basically this question is asking you what is a double minute and it is extra chromosomal amplification of the gene. Okay, oncogene is amplified. It's not, it's not DNA fragmentation, okay? That's just like a distractor. You need more time? Okay. And what's the answer? The answer is, oh, okay. That's very good. So you're still attentive at the end of the lecture. I'm good. Okay. <laughs> Not I'm good. You're good. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry for that. Okay. Thank you. And, and tell me if you have a problem before. Okay. Don't wait till... Yeah, okay, thank you, thank you, and we'll see you again tomorrow, yeah. <laughs>